8. Tonight, we're going to find in these two chapters a couple of different scenarios, but it really just capturing the, the actual essence of the Lord guides us. And uh, he guides us, he guided his people through the desert, and we're going to see here in chapter 9, they were guided by the cloud by day and fire by night. Uh, we're going to see a little, uh, the second Passover uh, implementation here in the beginning in chapters, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And then we're going to get into chapter 10, and we're going to see that the Israel, God is going to start taking the people uh, from Mount Sinai and moving them in the direction to the promised land. And we start seeing that movement taking place as God guides them in that next part of their journey. But here in Numbers chapter 9 verses 1 through 5, we see the very first Passover in the wilderness. They had a Passover in Egypt, if you remember. Uh, that was the whole process of moving them out of Egypt. And, uh, and then now it's been a year, and now they're a little behind of that one-year piece. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but it's the first month of the second year there we see in chapter 1. So uh, chapter, verse 1, let's read it. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. So they're still at Mount Sinai at this point. This is just happening right after the tabernacles have been completed. Uh, so in the first month of the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Notice here, at the very end, the Lord commanded Moses, the Lord commanded. The Lord. We're going to see that theme a few more times as we read through these two chapters, and the question is, is the Lord commanded, gave directions, guiding them. This is what I need you to do next. The question is, will they be obedient? When God says, I'm, I'm guiding your life, I'm guiding your steps, are you willing to listen and obey? That is the question for all of us, even for us tonight. Because Israel celebrated the Passover when they were leaving Egypt. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 12, we studied that. Now we see the next Passover here, one marking that one-year point of their journey out of Egypt through the wilderness, from a journey of, from slavery into the, going into the promised land. It's a transition in the life of the people. And it's so true for you and I as believers. We are in slavery, in the bondage of sin, and God brings you out of that selfish lifestyle, that, that this, this life of slavery, of bondage to your sin, and there's a period of time that it, uh, of transformation and transition. And, then, and we've been seeing that with the people here, uh, the Israelites, being transformed and transitioned a whole year now. There's been one year, and now they're at this Mount Sinai, and they're ready to now go into this promised land, this place of rest or this place of, of promise that God has for them, a better life for them. 
And according to, the, to all the, its rites and ceremonies, the writer writes here, you shall keep it. Passover was meant to be a reminder of God's passing over Israel in the judgment of the firstborn at the exodus from Egypt. Remember, they had to put blood over the doorpost. And when that happened, the uh, angel of death passed over that household and, and everyone was spared. But if you did not, that when the blood of the lamb was applied to that doorpost of the home, it would be seen by that angel of judgment. And seeing the blood, the angel would pass over and spare the home covered by the blood. It was the blood that saved them. Which is always interesting because when I studied that, even if you were a non-believer, you're an Egyptian, if you believed what was happening and they were in that household, they were spared too, you know. What a beautiful thing, and we will see that tie-in as we continue to study. And of the deliverance from the following of the Exodus. Well, Jesus fulfilled that Passover for you and I in the New Testament. We see that that fulfillment of that Passover sacrificed by his death on the cross. Not the, not the lamb, but the perfect lamb, Jesus himself. We see that noted in 1 Corinthians 5.7. The covering of his blood causes the judgment of God to pass over you, to pass over us. So we're not judged. There's not going to be death. We are commanded to continually be remembered or reminded of, our, of this occasion of being spared judgment, God's judgment and the deliverance that followed by remembering Jesus' work on the cross. We do that through what? Through, the, the, through that Lord's Supper, through communion. It's a remembrance of the fact that Jesus' blood covers us, God's judgment passes over us, and we are free from that death. We see in verse 6, now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse. They got around a dead body. And so now they're ceremonially unclean. So they can't go and celebrate now because they're unclean. So that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord as its appointed time among the children of Israel? It only happened once a year. This is the first time probably some of them uh, saw it. Maybe they weren't alive at the time. Maybe they were... Yeah, they would have been because it's only been a year. So what would have happened, they understood the, the interest or the importance of that. And Moses said to them, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So Moses didn't make a quick decision and say, you know, I feel like you should have been more careful and not been around and you defiled yourself. So now you, don't, you miss out on this. No, Moses went to the Lord with all things. He didn't react emotionally. He went to the Lord and spent some time to find out, Lord, what do you want me to do with these men in this situation at hand as a leader? And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, in verse 10, speak to the children of Israel saying, if any one of you are uh, of you or your uh, post." Posterity of unclean or posterity of unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, meaning you weren't local, you were, you're traveling at the time, you may still keep the Lord's Passover. 
So on the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. Verse 13, but the man who is clean and is not on a journey and ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sins. There's going to be death. There's there's going to be a, a consequence for not being there for the Passover or even the, uh, the alternative that God is now allowing. Verse 14, if a stranger dwells among you and, should, and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover, according to its ceremony, and you shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and the native of the land. So in response to this, uh, these cries out to these guys who got defiled because of a dead corpse, and it may have just happened. It doesn't mean it was sin or anything. He just got defiled knowing you can't come to the ceremony. They're crying out saying, please, we want to honor God here. We want to bless God. We want to bring our sacrifice. And then Moses seeks God's guidance on how to deal with this. Because since Passover was a reminder and an identification, really, it's an identification. It's identity of, of the nation of Israel. It's an identification of the Jews here, of the fact that it's a reminder that was spared judgment and deliverance. They were spared the judgment of God, and they were delivered from bondage. That's what it means. We, Jesus, it spared us from the judgment because of his blood, and he delivered us from our sins and made us free. We're no longer slaves of that sin. And it must always be remembered. However, the unclean had to wait one month and keep Passover on the 14th day of the seventh uh, second month. So there was a little bit of a delay, but at least they went able to go and still not miss that one day of that moment of per, once a year. They were like uh, one month later be able to, to fulfill that. And these were probably not the only two of, in Israel who had defiled themselves on Passover. Perhaps others who became unclean did not come forward because they saw it as an excuse not to partake. Oh, you know. I'm not right. I can't, I can't come and show my face here. This is not right. I can't do this. I can't do that. They may have had found an excuse for a reason. They may have said, well, I'm going to go take a journey so I don't have to deal with this. Well, we see in the scripture here, but if a man who is clean and is not on a journey, there was not something where you could say, well, you know, I, can, I don't take it or leave it going there and, and, and giving the sacrifice and Passover. No, really the language is saying the man shall bear his sin is, is really having the fact that death would come upon him. There's a, that's a huge consequence for not honoring God and, and, and coming at Passover and recognizing of the, the judgment that was passed and the, and the, the deliverance. So among the Israels who are clean and not traveled must keep Passover or they would be cut off from among his people. They could have had a day off without an obligation to God, but these two wanted to partake of the Passover even though they found themselves in an unclean state. And they came boldly enough to Moses to ask, please, Moses, ask God can we still do this? Give me an exemption. 
And we see back in Leviticus, when we studied Leviticus 7.20 and Leviticus 22.3, that provision and that alternation to, for those unclean to remember God spared judgment and deliverance. Now, if there was a stranger, that stranger could partake of that Passover and be along and treated along with the rest of them there. Even a stranger could partake of the Passover and, or be cut off and be separated if they didn't do it. Well, I'm not a Jew. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to honor your God. I'm going to live with you and partake in, 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 in all the blessings around you. It's like a, a family. Hey, I'm hanging around this great family. They're doing Passover. God's blessings all over them. But I'm a stranger. I, I, I just want to see what I can siphon off of them. But I'm not going to do that. God says, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not just going to siphon off all the blessings that I do on the people who honor me and, and I'm going to bless them. No, no, no. You're going to be cut off and you're going to have the judgment meet with you because of the fact that you don't want to partake of that. But if there was a stranger, there was included and, and accepted and, and participated in God's Passover. And it, at the very end, the writer says we must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremonies. So before Israel could enter into the promised land, they must remember what got them there. They should never forget what God did in regards to keeping them from judgment and bringing them out of bondage and delivering them. We too, it's the same thing. When we come to the communion table, the Lord's Supper, we are to remember that we are not going to be judged. Jesus took the judgment for us. We are going to be, we have, we've been delivered. We're not going to be in bondage. We're going to be taken home. We are free now and we're going to be going to heaven. So these things we must understand, these were very, very important moments. These, these, these Passover and these ceremonies that took place there and among the people that God set up. Promised land people. Those who are going to the promise must always live in remembrance of God's deliverance. And we must remember that because it all flows from the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is why we are the promised land people. That's why we are not going to be judged. We are not, we are going to be delivered. Now we see in verse 15, it says here, now we see the, this, how God is, the Lord is guiding them in the desert here as they start moving. It says, verse 15, now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony from evening until morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So at nighttime, it warmed the place. It lit the place. It was clear what was going on. They didn't have street lights. They had gods, the Shekinah glory, the, that hovered over in the presence in the, the Holy of Holies over the Ark of the Covenant. But the cloud, the presence of God was covering and protecting and seeing so that no question that I believe that God was doing that. So it was always a focal point for everyone in all of Israel and any stranger would say, this is where God is dwelling. This is God's presence. God's, you can see everything right there. And it lit up the place. And I, I forget that many times, that that fire would have lit it up. And anyone who has tried to even try to think about going in there, the Levites would have stopped them. That was part of the responsibility of uh, the Levites and the priests who would keep anyone from going in past those curtains. They would surely die. 
But we see here on that day that the tabernacle was raised up. It was finished. It was complete. God's presence covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, from evening until morning. What a beautiful sight that must have been for everybody to see that. Because the tabernacle was originally built and raised up. God blessed it by showing his presence in the form of that cloud by day and fire by night. Go back in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, on more of the details of that. But that cloud of God's Shekinah glory was evident at different times in Israel's history. If you remember, if we studied through the Old Testament, when Solomon built the temple, the cloud of glory filled the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. But when Israel was apostatized and before the temple was destroyed by conquering the Babylonians, the cloud of glory departed, if you remember, because they walked away from God. That's fine. You want to do it your way? I'm going to take my hands off. I'll leave my presence and watch what happens. The enemy comes in. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, and Ezekiel 10, 18 and 19. Which would be worse? To have never seen such an amazing visible symbol of God's presence and glory or to have it and then watch it depart. You start well in your walk with Jesus. The Spirit of God is alive and just moving a mighty way in your life. You're walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And then all of a sudden you think you've got this figured out and you go back into the cares of the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And what happens? Spirit hasn't left you. He dwells within you as a believer. But he's so greed, he's almost like he's not there. Because you can't hear him. You can't, you're not sensing his presence. You, he's not helping you. Because you've said, I don't want your help. I'm doing it my own way. Can you imagine these people seeing the presence and then the presence gone? And they're like, oh my, how dark it has gotten. Right? Because he lit up. The Shekinah glory lit the place up. And when God's not there, it's darkness. It's a great understanding for us as believers. When you sense you're in darkness, there's dark things going... Be, be aware. A, what your relationship is with God. And B, who you're fellowshipping with. Not to fellowship with darkness. Be careful who you spend time and what you watch and do. So we see here, from evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. Accordingly, this was more than proof of God's presence for all the people who were watching. All the tribes could see it. The cloud by day and the fire by night were actual helps and comforts to Israel because they had an absolute presence right there, a symbol right there. We know God is with us. He is still here. We know he's protecting us. He's in, and we know he's guiding us. We know he's taking us to the promised land. We know that he is. We just need to keep our eyes on that cloud. And we know when that cloud moves, we move. They don't sit there and from their tent and going, we don't want to be here. Let's go. We want to go somewhere else where it's warmer and better and easier. And, and the... No. He sat and waited and watched where God is 
That's where they wanted to be. When God moved, they moved. You, you don't move and tell God to come with you. That's, that's not what you want. That's how you, you have a mindset. Oh, there's some great scriptures in Isaiah 25.4. For you, you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. That's a great verse. How about Psalm 121.5? The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day. What's the saying? The Lord has generally made it in the shade. <laughs> made it in the shade. It's a, it's a comforting thing. You made it to the sh in the shade. It's just there's a comfort that comes when you're covered by God. Verse 16. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And wherever the cloud was taken up above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey, and in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, here it is again, the children of Israel would journey. At the command of the Lord, they would camp. And as long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. Did you notice this? Even it gave the, when you read it, it gives you a sense, well, man, I'm getting impatient. It's been five days. It's been three days. It's been a week. What do you mean? Why isn't God moving? Why isn't, why are we just sitting here and waiting for God to move? Yes. That's what we're supposed to do. We live by faith, not by sight. We're to sit and wait and be still for God to move. That's how we live. And that's how they were taught and lived right here in these verses. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord. Again, the command of the Lord. They would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening till morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Verse 22, whether it was two days, a month, or a year, that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. How many times do you have to, and I have to hear, by the command of the Lord? By the command of the Lord. What does that mean to you and I today? By the command of the Lord. How do you hear from them? Through the word of God. How do I know about the word of God? Well, you have to read it. You have to ponder on it. You have to spend time meditating on it. Lord, show me what is my next step. When my step? Just tell me when it is. When you have peace and joy, when I give you and show you what to do next, and you have peace and joy about doing it, then that's time to go. If you have doubt, confusion, you don't move. You don't move. 
So what we see here, though Israel had been organized and ordered by God in the previous chapters, he had everything in order, all the tents were a certain place, three on each side of the tabernacle, all ordered. So when they were about to march, they were to go in certain order. We will see that. But we see that they're all organized. They had been cleansed. They had been set apart. They've been blessed. They were taught about giving. They were talking about walking in, in, you know, in their priesthood and how the priesthood was supposed to minister to the people. They, they had to be guided by God every step in each step of the way to make it to the promised land. And that's what we need to understand. Every day we need to, need to trust the Lord and allow him to help us to take each step on our journey to heaven when he comes and gets us. To the promised land. God had, had not done all of those previous things to make them able to start towards that promised land on their own. God didn't just get them started one thing. I got you out of Egypt. Egypt. The rest of it is on your own, man. I got you out of Egypt. You've got to figure out how to get to the promised land. No, that's not how God works. Or the attitude also... God, thank you for getting me out of bondage. Thank you for not judging me. Now I'll do my life however I want to. I'll figure out how to get to the promised land because I know what's best. That's not their attitude because if it is, that's, they, they died from that kind of attitude. They didn't have the covering of, of God in their life. But every step, was designed and consistent for them to be dependent upon God. Let me say that again. Everything that God put in place, every step, every part of the journey, everything he slowly laid out was to make ensure that the people depended upon God for everything. So whenever the cloud was taken up, it rised up above the tabernacle. After that, the children of Israel would journey because the cloud is moving. And they all had responsibilities. Remember we studied that? They all had their responsibility of how they're going to pack up that tabernacle really quick like and what the order of the tents would come out. So when the cloud moved, Israel moved. When the cloud stayed, Israel stayed. They only went where the presence of God led them. And they only stayed where the presence of God stayed. Believers today must in the same way be led by the presence of God. Paul makes it clear. Paul says, let the peace of God rule your hearts. Colossians 3.15 He means the presence of God's peace is to be your umpire or a judge of your hearts. I don't have peace about that. Well, then don't do it. Continue to ask the Lord, why don't I have peace about this? It may be logical, think you logically think it's smart. It may be completely against the will of God. His ways are not your ways, your ways are not his ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts, his thoughts are not my thoughts. You had to seek the, what, the, what God's presence is in regards to that situation. Is God in this? Any ministry here, if God's not in it, we stop it. 
And when the Lord reveals to us what we need to do new to, to minister to the people, we do it. We don't have traditions. We don't have, we've been doing this for 50 years in the ministry. And this is what we do. No, that's not what we want to do. We want to, the Spirit of God to move. To guide us on how to minister to people. To lead people to Christ and to encourage those in the faith. When God's in it, there's fruitfulness. We don't see the fruit. We cut it. Because Israelites were just pilgrims, right? They were pilgrims going through the wilderness on a way to the promised land. They were journeying through, marching through the wilderness like an army. And they constantly needed the guidance of God to be able to go there. God who delivered them from Egypt promised to bring them to their inheritance if they would trust him. But not only trust him, and obey him. That is important. Oh, I trust God for my salvation, but I am not obeying him to live my daily life. Then you have lost it. You don't know the scripture, and now you do. Immediate obedience is important in our life. Trusting God, and then when he gives us the guidance, be immediate obedience. Knowing the will of God and doing it is vitally important to, to fulfill, be a fulfilled and fruitful Christian life. How do we get the how do we know the will of God? Well, to assist us, today is determining and doing the God's will by seeking after and having the Holy Spirit within us. To literally reveal God to us, His will. We see that in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. We see that in Acts chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. The Holy Spirit who dwells within you as a, as a believer will, if you're not grieving the Spirit of God, if you are trusting and obeying God with your life, you are going to find that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal God's will in your life. The second way is the word of God before us. We have the Holy Spirit within us, but we have the word of God before us. We see that in Psalm 119.105. The word of God is how God speaks to our hearts. And the Holy Spirit uses the word to reveal the God's will for you and me. And then we have the interceding Savior above us. Who sovereignly works out a plan on our behalf. We see that in Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 34. Jesus is literally our savior. Is working and sovereignly working in your life. And, and, and it's making you holy through your life. You just let him do that work. It's not your job to do the work. It's his work to do it. You have to be obedient. To guide Israel in their journey, God gave them the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of, by night. And it was to announce the will of God to the people. He ordered the priests to blow two silver trumpets. And we see in chapter 10 here, two silver chap, uh, trumpets that God has purposely designed to reveal God's announcements 
to move the people at once. They needed to have something, and blowing the trumpets was the indication that everyone could hear what they needed to do. They had specific signals how those trumpets blow. The military does it today. You have different, the trumpet plays, and it depends on what they're playing, determines and tells you, is it the beginning of the day, the end of the day? What, what, trumpets were used then during for war, and it's also used for the military today. But we see here in chapter 10, verse uh, 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself, and you shall make them of hammered work, and you shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. That's, again, God is a God of order. There was no chaos. Remember, then when they came out of Egypt, it was a mob. <laughs> they were just fleeing from Egypt. There was no ram or reason. They were all mixed and mingled, man. They were just running for their lives. Got to the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea just to get them through on the other side. To bring... It wasn't until they got to Mount Sinai and God started bringing structure and bringing the tribes into order. Now we see that he's got these trumpets. These two silver trumpets were for use to directing the movement of these camps or each of the, of the camps of each of the tribes and marching them across the land to the promised land, but also for the future, in the, for the future battles to war. But that trumpets would gather all the nation together in an assembly there around and before the tabernacle. The, sent, the trumpets were essential tools that God used for the journey of the promised land. Without them, it would have been very, very difficult to assemble the nation in order and to march them properly to keep order across this vast wasteland and Israel needed those tools to come into that promised land we see in verse 3 when the they blew the, both of them both, both horns were blown all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting there was no question you didn't get to sit there and say oh they're blowing the two trumpets again that means we've got to go over there no they were waiting to hear for that that was their announcement that no one had google no one had little, you know, little, uh, you know, texting going on and phone calls to let you know. The trumpets blew. They knew exactly what they needed to do, and they came. But if they blew, blow only one, then the leaders, the head of the divisions of the Israel, shall gather to, to gather to you. So it was just the leaders to come. If it was just one. And when you sound the advance, the camps that lie in the east side shall then begin their journey. So the very first ones that were to move first were the three, um, the three tribes that were on the east side, Judah being the number one. And when you sound the advance of the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey, and they shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. Because they're saying one in the east and then the south, you know the north and the west was also had a signal for them to do the same. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. This wasn't a one-time deal. This was to set a pattern for the rest of the nation and generations to come. Verse 9. 
when you go to war in, the, in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. When you blow, you know the enemy's coming, you blow those trumpets, the Lord is saying, I am going to be with you, and I will fight your battles with you against the enemies. So make sure you're blowing the trumpets because then it brought some comfort and assurity of the people that God is with them going into this war to push back their enemies who's coming against them. And they would save them. Verse 10, also the day of your gladness in your appointed feasts and at the beginning of your months you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your uh, peace offerings and they shall be a memorial for you before your God I am the Lord your God so we see that even during the all the different feasts that would be taking place the feast of trumpets ushered a special religious events as we studied that uh, of the and we saw the day of atonement the feast of tabernacle feast of weeks all of these things they weren't to usher people oh there's a party going on I I forgot there's a feast today. No, no, no. The trumpets were a rem- was all just a, a representation of a blessing of God's presence in their celebration of what God has done during these festivals. It wasn't to usher them, to remind them. It was a celebration of sound or to represent God's presence of them in those festivals at those times. So the blowing of the trumpets were important to remind them of the special festivals that were part of the religious calendar that God had sent up. God will use the sound of a trumpet to gather his people one other time. Do you remember that? The ultimate assembly of his people? Bringing them together, you know? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, the rapture of the church to meet the Lord in the air will happen when the trumpets blow. I always wonder, will I hear the trumpet? Or Because remember, when the rapture happens, it's a twinkling of an eye. You can't, even, you can't even blink fast enough. And we'll be in the cloud with our Savior. But the trumpets will blow. To represent that God is here. That's his first coming, Right? His first coming, coming back. Most people get really confused between first coming and second coming. The first coming, he is coming in the clouds. He won't set his foot on the earth. He's calling us up. He's going to snatch us out of here. Then he comes back, right? And the first time. The second time, we come back with him. We come back and he actually plants his feet on the earth and we will rule and reign with him on this earth for that thousand years and beyond. Verse, Verse 11 Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony and the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the cloud settled in the wilderness of Paran. They've now moved into a different part of the wilderness. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. What a beautiful moment. What celebration. What joy must have been. As the cloud began to move, one might imagine that sense of 
that huge sense of just excitement flowing through all the tribes, all the tents, the entire camp. Do you see this? The cloud is going here. And it's just flowing and people rushing to do what they were supposed to do and packing up their tents and the tabernacle. All of that had to be done. Now they were on their way to the promised land. You know, it's like kids. I thought about it this week. I was like, what's the scenario that people would relate to? Oh, we're going to, we're going to Disneyland. Oh, let's go to Disneyland. This is going to be so exciting. And they're getting in the car. We're starting to move. The kids are excited. And then you go about a mile down the road and get gas. And they go, why are, why are we stopping? And then we go down to the next couple hours. We're stopping again. And then we're stopping again. And stopping again. It takes a little bit of time to get to the Disneyland. Well, guess what? They had the same thing. They started, remember, in Egypt? In slavery? Now it's going to go to Canaan, to liberty, to freedom. But there's some time in between and multiple stops they will be taking to be able to go to the promised land. They had seen Sinai almost for a year now sitting at the base of that mountain. Now the immediate destination was the desert of Paran. They did maybe not even know that because God was the one directing. They were just following they thought, oh, we're going to the promised land. But he said, no, we're only going to go to the Paran. Because when he stopped, they're like, he's stopping. Why is he stopping? Is this the promised land? No, it can't be the promised land. A vast stretch of barren land across the whole north-central part of the Sinai Peninsula. That is the wilderness of Paran. And they would take several more stops before they were even coming close to the promised land. We see, we'll get that in chapter, Numbers chapter 11 and also in 12. But they started out the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Meaning Moses was their leader. And it was their first time Israel marched in this organized, prepared nation that God had putting them all working on their lives and getting order. Because a life can be a disorder. You come to Christ and then God has to work in your life to get you in order. <laughs> he has to bring you and edge you off and, and refine you and, 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 and for you to develop. And to change according to his ways. These people had to do the same thing. There were a mob coming out. And God had to work in their lives through these different events and scenarios and near-death experiences. And almost drought and no food and no water and enemies coming. All kinds of things had to come into their lives to refine them, to prepare them to go into the promised land. One would think and be tempted to think that after such extensive preparation, they're organized, they're ordered, they're cleansed, they're purified, they're set apart, they're blessed, they've been taught, they have a spiritual leadership now. You would think, okay, we're done. We finally got it. Of course God's going to take us all the way into the promised land. That everything else should be easy after this. After I get saved, everything should be easier after this, right? No. This was not the case. All of their preparation was exactly what God needed to do to prepare them ahead of them are the greatest challenges they will ever see. 
Challenges that can only be met by faith in God to bring them through it. They had a lot of challenges ahead of them. It's like a soldier might think boot camp is the hardest part about the military and, oh, I've made it through. Oh, it's going to get so much easier after that. No. Boot camp was just preparation for you to actually go to war (laughs) and actually go into a problem. I mean, really have major challenges. Boot camp was just preparation. And then we see in verse 14 through 28, we see this, the order of march, the standard of the camp of the children of Judah went out first according to their armies, over their army. And through each one of these verses, you're going to see the same leader organizing and bringing through each of the tribes in order for this march. It takes us all the way through. I'm not going to take the time to read through all of those names again. You do know those names. Um, I bring uh, attention to verse 25. Then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan and the rear guard of all the camps. They were at the very end, the rear guard, to protect, protect any enemy coming up from behind. Set out according to their armies, over their army. And then we see down here, verse 28, And thus the order of the march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. They actually marched in the order that God told them to do it. Can you imagine? A couple of million people all following and trusting and obeying and doing it God's way because that's what God said they needed to do, and they did it. They took God's word seriously and followed his word exactly, and they even listened to Moses, the leader, who was reminding them of what God had said to do. That's what believers do. That's what promised land people do. They trust and obey. And when they begin they, their journey, this was only the beginning. It would have been easy to see all that went through to get to Mount Sinai, to Sinai area. But again, that was just pure preparation. Verse 29, now Moses said to Hobab, well, actually at this point, I think I'm just going to drop, stop right there because I think I'm going to pick back up here in verse 29 next week and it will tie us right into to actually uh, chapter 11.